for Perfetti. Pass across, tip, Pionk fires to Karski out, makes a save, rebound, all oh, right on the line, and Perfetti throws it in, scores! It took a couple of whacks, but finally the Jets bang it in, and it's Blake Wheeler that's got the power play goal to make it 1-0. If you've seen a Winnipeg Jets game, you've witnessed Tessa Potter's work. Potter is the game day broadcast liaison, working behind the scenes for True North Sports and Entertainment, among other professional hats she wears, notably taking up the role of president of WABI, the Western Association of Broadcast Engineers, in October, the first woman to lead the organization. Potter joins us on this episode of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast, to talk about the state of broadcast engineering, the challenges of training the next generation, and the importance of industry connection. I'm Tessa Potter, and I'm currently living in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and I consider myself, I guess if I think about it, that I am sort of a broadcast technician. I got my start uh, because when I took a course at Red River in electronic engineering technology, they had an RF circuits course and it was super interesting when they talked about the physics of waves and radio and uh, that kind of spurred me to want to be in the broadcast industry. But I was a terrible speller so I knew I couldn't be in journalism and submit anything of the written word uh, without substantial editing. So I thought, well, you know what? I know how to use tools and plug things in because I was a 4-H person that liked to do hands-on work. I thought, you know what? I want to work in television and radio. And so when I finished the course, I sent out emails to every television and radio station in Winnipeg, thinking that there was hope that I would get a job. And I didn't hear back for a while. So I did some work as a, a electrician assistant for a summer and then I had this call from a small uh, family-run Manitoba company called Sound Broadcasting Limited, and they came and asked me for an interview. And a former student of mine that I had been paired with, who was super smart and would do my uh, take my homework sometimes because he would get 100% on the test and I would do all the homework and only get like 75%. And he brought this um, resume that he had got filling in at A Channel in Winnipeg to his boss. And his boss at the time was Sheila East from SBL and Paul East, who was becoming the president of the company. And I did an interview with them and they hired me as a junior technician. And they partnered me with uh, someone I still consider a mentor today, Don Truman. I spent two years following around him and another technician by the name of John Lozell, learning to make XLR cables and going to transmitter sites in an old renovated Jeep to uh, learn about AM and FM radio and doing installs at WTN when they needed an installer to make coax cables and networking cables. And it was really a gift that two years. And then I worked for them. They had an opportunity. They were looking after the Craig group of stations, A-Channel, and they had an engineering position at A-Channel in Winnipeg. And uh, it was a single tech shop in a little kind of closet with a big door. And it was, I think I got hired in the summer. And in September, the three-year Sony contract on all the gear in the whole shop ran out. And it was, 
I would say that at the time I would have been, you know, stressed out and it was many news shows and a live truck and all kinds of stuff I had never seen before. Microwaves and transmitters and filling in at Master Control in Portage La Prairie. But now that I look back on it, it was like the biggest gift I could have ever been given because it made me um, (laughs) have to work alone. Um, I had to call everybody and ask for a favor or a question. And it was a time when I really made lots of friends in the industry. And, you know, I remember a couple of relationships with vendors that were, I I called Alan Road every week and Nigel Wong at Sony. They walked me through what I needed to repair or maintain or buy or manuals. And that was really like my formative years in broadcasting. And I think what was always interesting was that it was this kind of complex business and uh, um, no two days were ever the same. And you got to kind of sample things working in the newsroom that you never would have been an expert on or been able to see, but you'd have stories come across daily, you know, that they're four minutes long, but you become like a, a little sponge and you get to see how the city works, um, how the politics work you know, who's in power. It, it was really like the most diverse kind of opportunity as somebody growing up in the industry and dealing with technology. Uh, and from there, it just, you know, it was, I went to CTV for a couple of years and worked with a great team there. I, I came back to CHMI, which had been bought, uh, was the A channel, but then had been bought by City and the Waters family. And then it was sold to CTV and there was transition there and then Rogers eventually. And so I got to know a lot of all of the people who worked both in Toronto and uh, across the West in those companies. And then um, I moved to Calgary for a couple of years and uh, worked in Master Control, which was really a great team and a great experience. And uh, of course, the technology had changed since beta carts when I had when Master Control had been in Portage La Prairie. And then from there, I was, I'll say it, laid off in uh, 2015 as part of a big layoff. I had only been with the company with Rogers back there um, for six years, so it was understandable. And uh, what perpetuated there was that I thought I'd never work in the industry again. TV, it's over, things are changing. And then I moved home to Manitoba with my family and uh, I asked Paul East um, to be on my resume as somebody that I had worked with over the years at SBL. And he said to me, well, I'll give you a recommendation if you work for me for a six month contract we have at True North. Installing a new control room who applied was looking for integrators for in the local market. And so I said, okay, I'll do this one thing and then I'll go do this other life that I'm gonna do. And at the same time that that happened, uh, a friend that I had worked with at City TV in Calgary, Travis Nadeau was um, doing some work uh, with BSE And he had been an integrator and installer in Calgary. And uh, he asked me to be part of a team that was working on a project for the BBC overseas. And he said, would you like to come to Paris and be a technician on our team for two months? And I was like, okay, I'm going to do this one thing. This sounds like a really interesting opportunity. And from those two opportunities, it it was really clear that I wasn't leaving the industry. And it not only dragged me back in, but sort of reinvigorated my desire to be a part of it. And what I really felt from those two opportunities was how much 
um, your connections in the industry play a part in the trajectory that you have, which is that I then from those opportunities met people inside True North who asked me to be part of their team part time. Paul had a, um, a retirement at SBL and he asked me to be part of his team part time. And then the international work that Travis was doing, he moved to a company called uh, uh, BSI, Broadcast Systems International, which is um, run by the Edie family in Toronto. And they've had some contracts that they've welcomed me on and have been a real gift, um, including I just got back um, from the World Cup in Russia working for them, um, who had a contract with Telemundo, who's a really neat American broadcaster who does the soccer events internationally. So it's really been a journey that I never could have predicted or known was the trajectory. And I think what I feel like is kind of ties it into Wabi is that I remember coming to Wabi um, the very last year it was in Winnipeg. SBL brought all of their staff and we went and we experienced it and I met people there. I got to meet, you know, Alan Road and person who I had talked to on the phone. I got to meet other vendors who I had worked with and ordered things from. And understanding that it was a small group of people in some ways, and that over the years, those people you can work with in various different capacities. And those relationships you build, you never know where they will take you. So that's my story. I want to come back to your career journey, but Wabi's been around now for more than 70 years and it's endured where other organizations have not. The upcoming industry conference in Vancouver is going to be the organization's 73rd. Do you want to talk about how you got involved in leadership? And you touched in your New Year's message as president on what Wabi means to you. Do you want to talk about that? When I was working in Calgary, and actually even in Winnipeg, I got asked to do and volunteer to be papers chair. So uh, I knew some of the people on the committee or had worked with them or in various capacities, uh, maybe, but at arm's length. So I got asked by the committee to be uh, TV papers chair. And you have to call people, you have to find out about the community, all of that thing to try to see what to program for the conference. And what I found at that time was that I got to meet and interact with all of these people I had worked with or done conference calls or seen on emails in a, a space that uh, we got to work on a project together that was Wabi. And part of it was that that kind of made me more connected to the organization and let me understand sort of what its role was and why as a young person, when I came the first time, I really enjoyed being there or felt like it was a bit of a community or a space to you know, be a bit nerdy or look at tech and talk tech. And as a person who worked in a station alone, it really was um, the only kind of atmosphere where you could talk to people that did the same thing as you. In any of the teams that you work, there's producers, maybe there's people who do, um, you know, writing, but it's not the same skills as plugging the wires in and soldering or figuring out projects and how to service um, the needs of the business. So that was really the connection that as a sort of standalone tech 
or working alone quite a lot or on small teams that Wabi kind of gave me this feeling of like, oh, there's a group of other people doing the same thing that I am and we can connect and be open and talk and learn like all kind of in one place at one time. I think as we all know that especially in markets like Western Canada, which is like really spread out, small teams, small stations, that uh, not all of us get to go to NAB. Usually that was reserved for, you know, management or project leads. And this was a this was a, you know, kind of a really equal space to be in. You are the organization's first woman president. And I know that everyone has different experiences, but as a woman working your way up behind the scenes, was it a difficult road for you? You must have been one of the few women on the broadcast tech side. I think that uh, we know that women haven't been in the majority as well as other minority groups. We, We can really see that. I still, in television tech, get in a van with 12 guys and go to a job for a build. I still have joy and glee when I see another technical woman on a team or within close proximity. And and we both acknowledge that we might be the only two on the van the next time. I think that the only thing that I will say that was really a gift is being in engineering. You have a lot of really kind, motivated to be problem solvers, quite educated, bright people to be around. And so it was supportive team members, enlightened managers, dedicated mentors, who they saw me as a good hardworking tech that they could train and work with first, but they had a real desire to support those treading through workspaces alone. I don't feel as though I had the kind of hardships that I know women in other sectors may have. And it's mainly because I think that the the people working behind the scenes to solve problems are, are, are people who are usually very giving of their time. They're people who are really solutions driven. And so they're not ready to make problems or difficulties. They're, they've got enough of them coming at them regularly. And so in that way, I think that uh, I can't have asked for a better group of people to be involved with to be the only one or, you know, alone in that group, if that makes sense. Do you think more women will choose broadcast technology as a career path going forward? I want to have a discussion about general recruitment in the space, because we post an awful lot of job ads for broadcast technicians and demand seems really high. And we've also written a lot of stories about how the last dedicated broadcast engineering program at SAIT fell to cuts in 2020. Can you take us inside those conversations about the future of the field? I was talking about this with someone the other day. And in the the new role at Wabi, there's lots of conversations that I get to have and reach out to people who I've worked with to get advice, ideas, connections. And everyone knows that change is like basically the word, the word of the day in um, in broadcasting, both from a technology, structural business side of things. It's sort of never ending. It's hard to predict what the changes will become or what it will look like. If we look back, we can, you know, you have the gift of history to to tell you. But 
I think that uh, the ending of that program, um, especially with they had low enrollment at the end, and I assume that state just cost-wise couldn't maintain it, but it was a loss in Canada. And, uh, and then very soon after the pandemic hits, and so you really don't have that um, influx of people, but we do have population that was of a certain age group who was in those positions in traditional conventional stations, both TV and radio. And at the same time, things like film, AV, everybody all of a sudden has a department that's making videos at universities or so there's this there's all kinds of shifts happening all at once, of which I'm not even an expert, an industry expert at. I just see where jobs are coming from and going. The state program ending, we talked about it a little bit at the the conference. What has happened since then is Sean Kelly from Chorus was was uh, kind enough to speak to us for the Wabi conference where we had a, a panel that was called Skills for the Next 10 Years. And we invited um, some educators from SAIT, somebody who, the president of IATSE, uh, somebody from Cisco, um, a former teacher at SAIT in the broadcast program to really talk about, you know, kind of this subject, which I think all of the, everybody is trying to figure out. But what we heard from Sean was that there was a consortium between Rogers, Chorus, Bell, and CBC, and that they saw the there was a, um, a hole and they need to fill it in some way. And what they, education-wise, what they, they really found out was that if people were coming out of traditional electronics programs or IT programs, um, what they were missing to work in television was like four core things, which is TV workflows and standards, audio, automation systems, and high-power RF. And those aren't necessarily included in any other program or digital media program in Canada. And uh, so they have gotten together as the four of them to try to stand up a micro-credentialing program at SAIT. From what we can understand in talks with them, it's not necessary. It's a sort of professional development, not necessarily meant as a course that maybe high school students would enter, but those in their organizations or those willing, wanting to work in the field could take to professionally develop themselves to have an understanding of these core areas that are part of, that are very specialized to, you know, broadcast and media. I think that uh, what we hope to do in the fall is have a continued conversation about that. The program is, I think, still under uh, project development. And uh, when they launch it, we want to talk about it at Wabi because it affects those who are both entering the field and our membership. And, you know, we're sort of learning as we go from them about what we're hearing and uh, what they're doing. I think that uh, that being said, there is all kinds of opportunity if people find out about them to work in the industry right now with a variety of skill sets. And I think I, I don't know if I speak out of turn when saying broadcasters are willing to take on people um, who maybe haven't worked in the field before, who are interested and may not have a traditional trajectory of skill sets or come from an electronics or loyalist or SAIT or a program. But I think that with any change like this that seems you know, unpredictable. I think there's lots of opportunity. And when we talk about women in the industry, uh, one place I'm seeing it uh, just in my real little life is I'm working uh, Jets games at the arena. And I see more women working on the dome trucks than I saw 
when I started seven years ago, and lots of them are young, um, and there's been opportunities given to lots of them by that company. And I think that's sort of just seeing more of them around and more people from different backgrounds and uh, who look different, I think is really a positive change that will come out of what has been you know, a real tumultuous time and post-pandemic and all kinds of uncertainty and unpredictability. I'm happy to hear that. Aside from recruitment, do you want to talk about some of the other ongoing challenges the sector is facing, including the constant wave of technical changes over the past few years that you referenced and just keeping up with that? Yeah, I... (laughs) I know that as somebody who's doing a couple of uh, part-time roles now, I don't have meat and potatoes on big projects all the time myself. And so new technologies, I find I can be up against a piece of equipment in a, in a part-time role that I had never maybe seen before, touched, heard of. And that presents its own challenges, which is that I am no longer an expert like I was when every day I had to clean VTRs on a DNW7, for example. And I really knew that machine and where to find the answers in the manual and what parts to replace and buy. So sometimes that gets me feeling nervous. Like, can I still be of help to the industry? Uh, You know, am I uh, for myself? And so I can imagine for others, it can also be pretty intimidating. But I will say that at the same time, there's this magical thing called the internet, which does allow you to learn quickly and at your own pace if you want to. And that has also been a gift as well as a technician, which is if you hear about it, you write it down, or you can, on that thing I carry around all the time called my phone, I can quickly look it up and learn about it and what its role might be in the infrastructure that I'm you know, required to service. And that wasn't something that was there when I started. So I really do feel like even though the technology is changing so fast, and even though it is something that uh, we most of us can't control who service it, it really is something that there is resources now and vendors and people to talk to that you can access way easier and quickly um, to find out solutions. So that it's sort of a... I feel like it's kind of a balancing act. The hard thing is, is how do you predict for something that might change in 18 months? That I don't know. That's people with business degrees. They need to think about those things because I'm not an expert in that. (laughs) Have any early themes emerged for the fall conference? One of the challenges when I do call people to both volunteer, participate, or ask for advice right now in the Vancouver market, it's very clear that things are busy. Um, There's more work than there is people to do the work Um, in film, in broadcasting and traditional media and non-traditional media, sort of that, uh, I'll call it a post-pandemic whiplash of project moving forward is, I think, a real thing. People do feel tired. Uh, They do feel um, like they've worked uh, very hard for a very long time during the pandemic to transition departments and businesses to be online. So from a technical standpoint, I think that it really didn't stop for those working behind the scenes in media or in any way. I think that maybe there was a temporary time where things slowed, but it really never stopped for those who had to adjust businesses technically. 
And I think that that is definitely one thing that I hear a lot. And we did hear it in Calgary this last year, which is, you know, we had some people who could only show up for a day, maybe their teams, um, there's only them right now, they're looking to replace or hire additional people, so they can't be away for the office for long. Um, they may not be able to travel just because the year is, uh, you know, traditionally we would have people travel from maybe Calgary to Vancouver or Vancouver to Calgary. And those things, when holding a, a regional conference, it, it's very clear to us that we're hearing over and over again that people are busy. And that is something we definitely have to take into account when planning a conference, but also when we're working with each other in the industry, which is to have patience. People are are stretched in a lot of ways and things are not happening both from a supply chain, employment, uh, personnel standpoint as fast as they did before the pandemic. In terms of a vision in your role as president, my sense, Tessa, is that you are really interested in opening up the conversation around broadcast tech to a much wider audience than those that have traditionally been involved with Wabi. Is that safe to say? I would say it's safe to say. I think that uh, if you look at just the roles that I personally have right now and the organization let me be president, maybe a number of years ago that wouldn't have been possible. I currently don't have a full-time role inside a conventional broadcast station in Western Canada. And I think at one time that was a really valuable key to being on the executive. But that being said, I'm still dealing with the technology in all of my roles. I think that that, is, that openness to having me be involved in my current situation is something that really shows the membership and organization is, is ready to, to see those who are dealing with the technology be involved and not necessarily where that technology is being used. I think that for a very long time, the only people who used this technology was broadcasters. And I think it's become very clear that, I mean, as you and I are doing a podcast um, for uh paper that was originally something that came in the mail to the office, I think it's very clear where, you know, technology is being used by all kinds of groups. And, you know, I'll meet somebody uh, now who's young and starting out, and they may be freelancing, they may be um, working for some other company, but they're still setting up uh, maybe an Azure frame sync, or they have technology knowledge of a box that works for me in, in another capacity that I hadn't heard of before. And yet it does, you know, it encodes audio or it decodes video. And all of these kind of changes that we're seeing in the industry, I think, acknowledges that at Wabi, we are also going to change as, you know, our members change. Is there anything else you'd like to touch on? I do want to say that I'm pretty excited. Um, I have a great team on the executive with Rob Brown and Cameron Thompson, who are, uh, Cameron will take over my role eventually. It's been a challenge over the pandemic to run a volunteer-run, not-for-profit industry association at a time when there's great change in an organization and uh, a great change, sorry, in an industry. And so that that's not lost on me. There is also... I think what I really feel is there is opportunity in the next number of years to continue to have conversations about where the industry is headed 
And I do feel like Wabi has value in that way of being a local place for people to gather with vendors who they can buy from in Canada and can support them and be an ear to call when they have technology solutions, especially if they come from not large departments or um, big organizations. And I think that what I really see is something that is that I feel excited to work with people who are starting out in their career more than anything. I had such a gift over the years of people guiding, helping, supporting me. And if I can give anything back, it would be that to those working at the beginning of their career. Thank you so much for joining us, Tessa. Thanks so much, Connie, for having us. I really appreciate it. listening to Broadcast Dialogue. For more information about the podcast or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing about the Canadian media industry, visit us at broadcastdialogue.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.